0: In the year 2022, gamers everywhere are in despair with no good gaming podcast to listen to until out of the ashes arose the multiplayer gaming podcast with its funny hosts, incredible gaming content and phenomenal community. You too can be the hero the world needs by heading over to multiplayer squad.com and helping support the show. Now, let's hear from our champions in this incredible episode.
1: What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Multiplayer Gaming Podcast. We are three dads who love video games, and so we get together and talk about gaming on this show, and we release two episodes per week. If you want to bump that up all the way to four weekly episodes, and if you want to help support this independent podcast, head over to multiplayer squad.com to see our Patreon page. And thank you so much to all of you out there who are currently supporters. Please make sure to rate our show five stars and leave a written review if your podcast app allows. And you can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at MultiplayerPod. I am your host, Paul, and joining me is the man whose beard changed the face of gaming forever. It's Josh. I love that my beard is getting <laughs>
0: like its own personality going. I, and, and what's funny is, I I had to go with the summer beard. It's getting hot mm-hmm. in Arizona. I cannot carry the Kratos beard into an Arizona summer. And so I'm I'm clean cut beard man right now, but yes. I, I, I'm all for this man. I, maybe I need to like put my beard on Instagram. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Your summer beard would still be like the most epic beard. If I collected all of my beard trimmings of my entire, hopefully ninety two to ninety four year life, I might be able to
1: spirit gum on what you have right now. <laughs> Josh, you said exactly what I was going to say. I think you need to make a Twitter page or something just for your beard. I think it deserves it at this point. (laughs) And then we have the man whose immaculate style and smile also changed the face of gaming forever. It's Michael. My, um man you're a poet and didn't know that was great rhyming there
0: unfortunately my smile does not have i'm still on i'm still on josh's beard right now like i can't i'm like my smile doesn't look complete because i don't have this beautiful man mane around my that's face, all right but. you know what you do have michael you have a face meant for podcasting that's true that's yes. why i do this
1: <laughs> oh man all right today is a bonus round episode And we are going to be looking at watershed games that changed the gaming industry forever. So we are talking about games that were so influential that future developers and publishers had to copy certain elements from those games. So we're talking about those major games that kind of took the industry one way or another and there was no looking back. So if you want to think of it as watershed games, most influential games, that's basically what we're going to dive into today. Although before we jump into that content, Josh, I think you've got a couple of reviews people have left. Da
0: da da da! <laughs> we broke three hundred reviews. Yeah. Thank you. Where's to, the confetti? I. The, Where's the balloons? It was there. Did did, did could the listeners not see it? <laughs> <laughs> But yes, we broke 300. Actually, we have like 301 uh, as of now. So to everybody that has left us a review, thank you very much. They are still rolling in. And don't get me wrong. We hit that landmark 300, but we want more. So yeah, we're going to call this the sequel to 300, <laughs> which is this is spata. No, that, that's <laughs> called 400. So. <laughs> So please keep them rolling in. We're going to keep reading them on the show, and I'm going to read a couple. These are good ones, man. This first one comes in from Lord Bob of the Jungle. And it is titled, Paul's shaking his head already, (laughs) it's titled Pancakes All (laughs) The Way. I started listening to this podcast when it was in its infancy and watched it grow to have some interesting perspectives and great takes on some of my favorite games. Not sure why it took me two years to write a review. I don't often expect to be able to listen to a gaming pod with my kids, but the family friendly nature of this one is so refreshing. Because I listen to podcasts while driving, I often hop in my car to just drive around the block with my kids and appreciate the awesomeness of this show. While I miss Todd, I love the addition of Michael. Having three hosts allows the conversation to have a larger perspective, and I actually appreciate when the guys disagree on some of their takes. Did I mention how awesome Michael is? Michael is great. Thank you for adding Michael. He's amazing. Also, mm-hmm, team pancakes mm-hmm. and eighties music. Win my heart. Yeah. Now I would like to say this review is ninety percent accurate, other than the Michael part. But right. <laughs> right. I'm not sure if Michael's ninety percent accurate myself, but that's amazing. I love that. That's that's, that's uh, Pancake and 80s music are perfect. You're making you're making fans already, which is great, so
1: yeah, huge, huge, huge fans.
0: <laughs> All right, and who was that written by? Lord uh, Bob, aka uh, Michael the Butler, Mike, Michael the bootler I don't. Know. I want I wonder <laughs> I I I <laughs> who wrote that one. That was that was really good. Hey, but, but, got us over three hundred though. Really good it, job, Lord Bob that's the also. All right,
1: here by we the go. way, I I uh, can't believe that Michael is a co-host on the show and had not yet left us a review. Episode in and episode out, we're begging everyone to leave a review. And Michael finally got around to it, which I really love. So thank I you, thought, Michael.
0: I <laughs> thought that I did too. That's the funniest thing is I'm looking back and I remember I remember I tried to leave a review.
1: Um,
0: and at one point mm-hmm. there was like there it was it was a funny thing. I tried to do it on my computer and there was a Captha thing or whatever where I couldn't get through it. And I was like, I'll come back to this later. I'll just handle it later on. And then you know, Lord Bob of the Jungle <laughs> took over my mind and pancakes and pancakes no. and 80s music for life. For clarity, yes, this was Michael's review. He actually left this review for the show, and yes, we know that. But it is a great lesson in the fact that if you're listening right now, you probably have heard us mention leaving reviews and have not left us one. So don't be like Michael, who is a host of this podcast. Don't be Michael. I forgot to leave a review. Please take the time to leave us one. It really does help the show. This next review is a legit review too. So, is it? Yeah, let's hear it. Let's. All hear right, it. this one comes in from quite a tool who uh, recently I do believe I've seen them in the Discord server. So, thank you for joining the community. And it's titled "Great Podcast." This one's a long one, so strap in. Funny dudes and family friendly. Occasionally wrong opinions about games. Five stars.
1: I'll take that's it. Thank funny. you. Quite a tool. Who's yeah. also a Patreon supporter? I was going to say
0: that too. He's a Patreon supporter. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. That one's not me. That's actually quite a tool. So, yep. So awesome. Thank you for that. And you know what? Hey, we. I, I love the little jab that's wrong opinions about games. Uh, that's the beauty of this of gaming and this podcast is everybody's got different takes and that's why we're we're glad to be able to give some different perspectives uh, on things. So thank think, you to everybody that left a review, including you, Michael. Thank you. And I, I think that's the <laughs> literal point of the Discord is like to say, hey, do you guys disagree with some of our takes? Tell us about it. Let's talk about it. Let's maybe you'll change your minds. Uh, probably not because our
1: minds are uh, let's awesome old um, <laughs> yeah
0: old so we're stubborn old. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Can't teach an old dog new tricks, right? Oh, man. Well, yes. Thank you so much for leaving the review. And for those of you out there who haven't done it yet, please just take a couple of seconds. We can see the number of listeners on each episode, and it's certainly greater than 300. We know that only a percentage of you guys have left a review. So we would really appreciate if you could just take a couple moments and knock that out and then come back to the episode and finish it up. Alright, so are you guys ready for this bonus round episode? I think we all have a list of influential games. We shared a little bit of info, but we didn't really talk at all about this. I know I'm really excited to dive into this topic. How are you guys? Feeling? I,
0: I am super hyped for this one, man. The second we started talking about this one, I got I got pretty amped up. So I I it's gonna be glorious. I am over the moon on this one. This is this is probably one of my favorite things to just like I'm going camping this weekend and I might even bring this up with my camping buddies because it's one of my favorite things to talk about is just wait we haven't spoiled the whatever we're about to whatever <laughs> he's about to say I don't want to spoil it
1: already but this is one of my favorite things to talk about with video games all right, so as far as what we want to tackle first, the way historically we've always kind of done this is where we all just come up with our own lists, and we just keep going around in a circle, picking a game, and then we talk about it for a few minutes, and then kind of take things from there. I think my list is probably the shortest, so I should probably go last, but which of you guys want to nominate the first game that we're going to talk about?
0: Josh's beard does want to go first. Her guys. <laughs> this is Josh's beard, and I want to talk about a great genre and a great game. Uh, no, I'm going to bring up... Dude, if we're talking about defining games, genre-defining games, watershed-type games, for me, as a huge fan of fighting games... <laughs> you guys have heard me mention this game in the past, but man, it is true, and that this set the bar. It is the bar by which almost all other fighting games have taken influence from, and that's Street Fighter 2. Now, Paul, I know that you love Mortal Kombat, and you're a fan of Mortal Kombat, probably mm-hmm. more so than Street Fighter 2. That is correct, but it wouldn't exist without Street Fighter <laughs> 2. It, I mean, honestly, that's very true. And And so just so everybody's clear, too, we're not saying that these games that we're talking about are the best games, right? This is not a, hey, this is the best game in a genre or a category or something like that. What we're seeing is these are these are like monumental games that influenced games that came after them. Like Paul said watershed games, right? The the developers after this game came out borrowed from that, they you know, they leaned on that, they thought this is so great that we have to copy certain features of that stuff too. So, you know, I, I mean, personally, Street Fighter 2 in my opinion, probably is the best fighting game, but in this case, as far as its influence in the gaming industry, I mean, what what did it do, right? If people remember the original Street Fighter, do you? Any, either of you remember the actual original Street Fighter, not Street Fighter 2? Absolutely not. And I hate saying this because I it's love okay. Street
1: Fighter, but I do not remember it. Paul, what about you? Do you remember anything? I'm sure I've played it on emulators at some point, but I certainly did not play it back in the day. It's terrible. It's te- it is it is
0: the reason nobody remembers the original Street Fighter is because it is Ryu or Ryu. I've always said Ryu. How do you guys it's say Ryu. that? It's, it's okay, I say it's Ryu. Ryu. Yeah. Okay. Because I've heard people go Ryu, Ryu, and stuff, and I'm like, I don't say that. I just say Ryu. But it's literally Ryu, exactly cloned with a with just a different color that faces off, and that's how Ken came to be. Right? And that's it. It's just one-on-one, no characters, no nothing. That's why nobody remembers the <laughs> original Street Fighter. But lo and behold, in the glorious year, 1991, Street Fighter two was released. And it came with a cast of memorable characters that not any other fighting game had done, to my knowledge anyway. Maybe there's one out there that had a couple characters, but nothing that was like the cast of characters that Street Fighter two had. They displayed health bars. You knew how close your opponent was to dying. That was very unique in the fighting game genre at that point. Did they not have that in one? I don't know if they had it in one, to be honest. We just talked about nobody remembers one, Michael. No, because that's amazing. I'm watching
1: watching gameplay of Street Fighter 1987 right now. (laughs) And it looks really bad. It does have HP bars, but they're not even on the opposite sides. They're just stacked right in the middle. Player one and enemy. That's how it's listed.
0: So, (laughs) you know, we were both Googling just now because I Googled whatever watershed meant because we've mentioned it many times on this episode (laughs) and I had no idea. I was like, wait, did I, did I, did I research the right stuff? (laughs)
1: <laughs> should funny. we read a definition of watershed? Wait, Do wait, still have wait, it up, maybe Michael? Maybe we Might, should. I'm like, wait, watershed. Um, here, here, here we go. Watershed. Uh, it's an area of land where all the water <laughs> that drains off it goes into the same place. <laughs> that that
0: was not it. Let's Which is not watershed. what we're talking Welcome about. To
1: ecological <laughs> gaming, guys. <laughs> oh, man. Yes. Watershed definition. Let's see here. We would define it as... An event or period marking a turning point in a course of action or a state of affairs. So, yes, things that just change the ultimate what we course.
0: said. Makes a lot That's of exactly sense now. I'm, I'm so happy I Googled the right stuff when I prepared for this episode and wrote oh, my man. notes. Michael's like so the wetlands, <laughs> yeah. Like I was like, yeah. ooh, Google Images is very different from the Google search or Wikipedia search with with uh, with water. Oh, this, so. this episode went off rails real quick. Yeah. <laughs>
1: the best yeah, episode it, it ever, did guys. Yeah, it did not take long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you know, getting back to Street Fighter Two, I think the thing about this game is like it was so influential in the arcades, which is I think mostly what we've talked about in the past with Street Fighter. This was when you would have everybody line up. And if you won your match, you stayed on the machine. And if you lost, you had to give up your place. And so it was almost like in-person tournaments, if you will, in the arcades. And we had so many fighting games come out in the 90s because of how immensely popular Street Fighter 2 was. We got all the Mortal Kombats. We got Primal Rage. We got Killer Instinct. We got... I even did a Quick Take episode about fighting games and even games like One Must Fall, which was like a robot fighting game marketed for kids because the Street Fighter games were a little bit more adult. And this extends all the way into Super Smash Brothers. You know, we still have fighting games that are coming out today, like the Nickelodeon whatever brawl game that they have. You know, these are games that are still being made today, and it's all because of how much Street Fighter 2 popularized the genre. With very fast action and quick, precise movement, I think the technology was first ready for that when Street Fighter 2 came out, which is why the old fighting games just look so bad. They look slow. They don't look very good. Street Fighter 2, I think, really took advantage of that technology.
0: Yeah, it's funny you mentioned because um, when you look at the three of us, we actually all have a different uh, watershed favorite uh, fighting game. Uh, Paul, Years was Mortal Kombat, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Josh, Street Fighter 2 came Street Fighter out II. when I was 6 years old.
0: Yeah, and I mentioned in a previous episode how much I love Soul Calibur, which thank you Street Fighter 2, I tip my hat to you because Soul Calibur you would not exist without Street Fighter 2. And that that's a huge thing. And and I mean honestly Tekken, right? So this was like oh, the glory yeah. days Tekken, the glory yeah. days of fighting games because Street Fighter 2 came out in 1991 and it Turned everything upside down as far as as far as the the fighting genre goes, right? You had Mortal Kombat came out the year after that, so 1992. Tekken, the original Tekken, came out in 1994. Uh, Soul Calibur, I feel like came out a little bit later. If I had to guess, I would say that's 95 or 96 because I maybe even a little bit later on that one. I loved Soul Calibur. But it's interesting because Tekken and Soul Calibur went with the 3D aspect where it wasn't on a 2D plane and you could actually, you know, circle around your opponents and stuff like that. And so you saw where other fighting games were trying to continue to kind of revolutionize what Street Fighter 2 started, but what followed? The cast of characters, the unique characters, the unique move sets, all of the special moves that each character had. Like, that's to me what I really loved about those style of fighting games is I was a kick butt Ken. I could not be beat if I was playing Ken. Like, honestly, I was at the peak of my game, but the goofy thing was you'd see some guy and he picked Dalsam, you know, the, the yoga guy, and you'd be like, Dalsam, what? And then that guy would destroy right. me. And I'm like, where did this guy come from? Nobody plays Dalsum. Like, what are you talking about? And, and that's what I loved about it is there was a character for everybody. People would gravitate towards certain ones. You think you would know what to expect and then you wouldn't. And I, I love that aspect. You never know what you were going to come up against.
1: I, I totally understand why you would pick this one, Josh. I think there's no denying that Street Fighter 2 left its mark on the gaming industry. I mean, people still play Street Fighter 2 and you'll still see articles and things where they still do tournaments. And there's still this huge cult following even all these years later. Um, all right. So, Michael, I think we are now on to you. What you got as one of your watershed games? It's so hard
0: um, to pick because I have a long list and there's no way we're getting through this. Um, my whole <laughs> list. And they're all like all of my games are near and dear to my heart. But <clears throat> excuse me, my favorite gaming style is RPGs. We can agree with that. We've talked about it a whole bunch. And my favorite subgenre of, RF- of RPGs is open world. You know, yep. we just did our Elden Ring um, uh, episode a while back, and Elden Ring would not exist, probably, along with Skyrim Oblivion, which is my favorite RPG of all time, without a little tiny rock star game called GTA 3. <laughs> Grand Theft Auto 3, a lot of people don't know this. I didn't know this, but it really was the first like popular open world game. It was the first one to say that, hey, we're going to have side quests and side stories, and sometimes you're not going to know your progression. You're not going to know where you're supposed to go, which some people love, some people hate. But the idea is that it's open world. It's the first true open world game where it's, what do you want to do? Where do you want to go? And just go do that. And... It, all the side missions, which unfortunately is a bad thing for me because I've talked about how many times I have not finished a video game. And I have 400 – Elden Ring is a perfect example. I had 52 hours in Elden Ring. I didn't kill the first boss. Because I was, like, riding bicycles all over town. There's no Mm -hmm. town or bicycles in the game, but it's a figure of speech, guys. Roll with me. Um, But I was all over the place with the side stuff. I just wanted to go explore the world. And so GTA 3, thank you for kind of being a bad thing for Michael Butler and also kind of being a good thing for the rest of the world.
1: Yeah. It's such an advancement to give players the ability to go out and explore. Because you had stuff like... You know Mario 64, right? When you would get into a level and the level itself was open to explore, but you always still had that structure, where you would finish the level, you'd go back to the castle, you would jump into another painting, whereas GTA 3, all of the NPCs, all of the mission givers, all of them are in that open world, you can go anywhere you want, you can shoot anyone you want, you can find collectibles and do crazy jumps off things. I mean, I just went through GTA 3, uh, unfortunately, I hate to admit I did buy the remasters from Rockstar, and I went all the way through and beat g t a three it's still one of my favorite games to this day, and yeah, what a watershed moment being able to go into open world. I feel like g t a three it, like
0: yes, I agree with you in the r p g nature of that you know you're you're progressing your character, you have quests and things like that. A lot of people look at g t a three as the defining game for the sandbox genre. And it's like, I disagree with that a little bit because it's like, I don't know that I consider it sandbox in in the traditional sense, like, like you would with Minecraft, right? Like for me, if you're going to talk about, you know, uh, what what's the defining sandbox game, I don't think that you can say anything but Minecraft in that regard. But if you're talking about open world, what helped to define you know, gaming in that category moving forward, I think you have to give credit to GTA 3 because it did things that no other game had at that point, or not to the scale and the scope that other games had. And look where that's taken us. I mean, you mentioned it, Michael, Oblivion and Skyrim. that's got huge roots in GTA three at that point. Now crazy. you can get back into like I don't know what came first, daggerfall. Or GTA 3, I'd have to look at the years on that, or Morrowind. But I still feel like even then, it's probably GTA 3 is the older of the bunch there. Um, But yeah, I'm with you, man. I think that that defined uh, a lot of the future of gaming. And the GTA series, moving forward, has just exponentially built on that amazing foundation. It's funny you mention Minecraft, because... I famously have not played Minecraft. I say this because I'm a famous At person all, like now ever? because I'm on the greatest podcast ever, um, and so I'm calling myself a famous person. But I have never played Minecraft. I've watched it a million times. My kids played it. Like I feel like I've played it because I've watched them play it so many times. But with, I think Minecraft is almost even like a, a subgenre of sandbox because you literally don't have anything you have to do. Whereas GTA Three, what I think it did was said you don't have to progress the story. With the missions that you're supposed to do in the main storyline, you can go do other missions too. So you kind of bring up a good point that makes me think right now. Like, is Minecraft a subgenre of a sandbox and is sandbox? I'm starting. My head's about to explode on me trying to think about what I actually think sandbox actually means at this point. I'm going to watershed that on Google real fast
1: um, and type it uh, yes, up. Yes, proper proper usage of the word. Nailed it. Uh, well, I think GTA 3 is a watershed game for other reasons as well. I remember GTA 3 being the first video game that I ever played that had famous, well-known movie stars who were voicing the characters, and I feel like GTA 3 was one of those first games that had the money to throw around to hire voice talent like that. I mean, uh, and I guess they're not necessarily all A-listers, but anybody who loves movies knows Joe Pantoliano, Michael Madsen, Michael Rappaport, Debbie Mazur, Kyle McLaughlin, like if you're a movie buff at all you absolutely know all of those people and they weren't even necessarily in main character roles you would get like a small side character and it would be voiced by someone that you maybe didn't know by name but you absolutely recognize the voice and i feel like GTA 3 is the very first game that really kind of blended Gaming and movies, and started making them not quite so separate because you had really fantastic cutscenes, you had really interesting storylines, and you even had famous voice actors. So I feel like they were kind of a pioneer in their own right in that regard as well. Yeah, I'm with
0: you. Also, GTA 3 came out in 2001, and Morrowind came out in 2002. So there you wow. go. Wow. Yeah. So it so yeah cuz I actually was thinking I'm like did I pick the wrong game just now cuz Morrowind <laughs> is famous for one thing is it didn't have quest markers and it was at the time the largest it open world game. It still is the largest open world game in the Oblivion series, the Elder Scrolls series. Um and that's interesting. So GTA 3 really kind of probably paved the way for Morrowind. Yeah, I mean they were probably being developed, you know, right at the same time, but GTA 3 released so they that's get true. the title, you know. Hey, everything that came after that <laughs> Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Cuts off. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I love GTA 3 and uh it was definitely a turning point in that industry, no, no question. Alright. I think the first game that I'm gonna bring up, taking a look at my list here. Um, alright. Let let's let's just go for Wolfenstein 3D. Oh, all good right? choice. I mean, we are talking about a game that released in nineteen ninety two. It came out in DOS, it was made by id software. And it is actually considered to be the, quote, grandfather of 3D shooters. That's what IGN had named them. And the Wolfenstein series was actually already around. There's a game called Castle Wolfenstein that truly looks horrific from 1981. And what they decided to do was to take that game, but instead put it in a 3D world where you are looking through the eyes of the main character And while Wolfenstein was not the absolute first to do it, this is the game that is seen as the beginning of the FPS genre. This game was very successful, and it certainly birthed things like Doom and then going out to every FPS that you know today. Uh, I think we probably would have gotten there anyway, but Wolfenstein 3D is the game that just lit that match and totally set the whole industry ablaze. I mean, FPS games, I'm pretty sure, are the best-selling games today, and this was the very first one that was popular. What's weird to me is when most people think
0: about the shooter genre, the FPS, you know, Wolfenstein was the start of all of that. But what's odd is that if you ask the majority of people out there and you say, hey, what was the first major first-person shooter that gained huge popularity what do you think 90 percent of people are gonna say probably doom doom i don't think
1: you're gonna get that many people saying really doom. I, think I think people are age people are age no, no. new wolfenstein when it came but see, out see
0: that's what i'm saying right i don't i'm not disagreeing with you at all i just mm. think if people that, who are
1: like 25 and younger right. might say doom but i think people in their mid to late 30s and in their 40s I think they would say because Wolfenstein. I played Wolfenstein, <laughs> you know? I that was I I feel like I was 8. When did that come out? Uh 92. 92. So you, yeah. wow. Okay,
0: so I was 4. <laughs> No, 92. You were born in uh, oh, I'm sorry. I thought you said 82. 92. So I was 14. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. You're no, 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 so, no. okay. I'm a little bit older than that, guys. We know, so, we know your beard is like 50 something, but we think so, you're like in your 30s, right? I was, yeah, sure, Michael. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so I was 14. Works. Well, I mean, think about, you know, I'm at the heart of like teenagerhood and Wolfenstein releases, and I go, dude, this is the greatest thing ever. I'm blowing up Nazis. <laughs> you know what I mean, like I'm knocking, I'm opening doors. You didn't know it was going to be in a room, and there's a captain and some soldiers and stuff like that. And then you're like, "Oh no!" It, it, you know. So Wolfenstein absolutely started the genre, and I'm with you in that. Yes, I think Doom was what brought it into mainstream popularity, but Wolfenstein has to get its due in that regard because I think Doom made it better for sure. But Wolfenstein was the OG in that regard. I think Doom really only gets more credit sometimes because it did sell more copies. You know what I mean? It was it was the first one that blew up like it blew up, but Doom would not have existed without Wolfenstein. I mean maybe it would have at the same point, but I think Wolfenstein really is what made people look at these games at uh, the the FPS genre and say, hey, you're on to something. This was good. Yeah. And I love the way it was structured with each level that you went. I think because I think it was subterranean. So you were going down. But in my mind at the time, you know, ten year old Michael was going up um, where level nine was like, oh, man, now I'm in level 10. And it's going to be real hard and real rough. Uh, you know what? True story, um, because I think you guys have said all the stuff that I would want to say about Wolfenstein, except for one thing. I got Wolfenstein Youngblood a couple of years ago, which is a really, really fun co-op, co-op shooter. I liked it a lot. There's a Wolfenstein emulator inside of Wolfenstein Youngblood. Oh,
1: that you can play. I That's think
0: I funny. have like twelve hours in the emulator and like <laughs> eight hours in the main game because I don't own Wolfenstein 3D. So I kept playing the Wolfenstein game in the Youngblood emulator. I mean, that just shows how how amazing it was. I will say that I think Doom aged better. Like I know that Wolfenstein released some uh, you know recent releases. Was it uh, Colossus or what's the Most recent Wolfenstein. It was good, man. Graphics were amazing. Gunplay was great. I can't think of the name of it. I want to say it was Colossus or something like that, but I think you're right. Um, but Doom just got better and better and better. And I think maybe that was because of the mainstream popularity and people said, Hey, we want more Doom. And at that point, they didn't either, they didn't know about Wolfenstein or they just didn't care at that point. Well, um, id
1: Software stopped. It's the only Wolfenstein game they ever made. All the others are made by other developers. That's right. Yeah. So they licensed out the Wolfenstein name to other companies. So id actually made Wolfenstein 3D. Then they made doom. So, you know, they're both made by the same developer. And then they stuck with making their own doom games where like doom eternal is made by id, but all of the Wolfenstein games are, are, fra- you know, licensed out. Now, one thing that I think id Software did really well. Is When you're talking about converting games from being side-scrollers or being 2D to being in a first-person perspective, and you're going to run around and shoot things, you can already – and if if you're like my age, you remember all the controversy around violence in video games. Oh, yeah. And what a smart decision to say, okay, we're going to move to FPS. We're going to shoot things with real guns. Well, we don't want to get too many – you know letters complaining about this so let's just make it nazis because right right <laughs> who's right who's gonna defend like running around shooting nazis it's a little bit easier of a pill to swallow when the violence is perfectly well deserved <laughs> against nazis and then what did they do with doom they made it demons yeah i feel like like if you're gonna run around and shoot nazis and demons what in it's the same. it's a little harder to complain yeah <laughs> i love it so, yeah, without Wolfenstein, you don't have Doom. Um And also, one other thing is that Wolfenstein really solidified the shareware model. So, for anyone who is not aware of what shareware means, they actually released the first episode of Wolfenstein 3D for free. And they would distribute it, anybody could play it, and if you liked it, then you would order the other episodes and they would come by mail. And Wolfenstein was, uh, I believe, the most successful shareware game to date. And not only that, fans loved Wolfenstein so much that they actually created their own level editors that they would share with other programmers, and id loved the fact that users did that. They actually ended up releasing a pack of 800 fan-created levels in Wolfenstein, Wow! and they ended up incorporating that into Doom and in later installments. So even the fact of like user-created levels, shareware, first-person perspective... All of that stuff was pioneered by Wolfenstein. Does that
0: almost make that the beginning of
1: like the modding community? I I yeah. believe so. Honestly, it's yeah. incredible. Quite possibly. Yeah, wow. It's certainly right up there. Now there were people modding arcade systems, but that technically was like a breach of service and that was not very accessible. You had to right. like hardwire boards and connect them. I think Wolfenstein was like the beginning of like modern modding. So yeah, had to include Wolfenstein. Uh, Good Michael. Pick. Yeah. Or actually, Josh, you were the one who went first, right? So coming I did. back to Josh, what what you got for another influential game?
0: Okay. Um, I I have a little bit more to say. We'll see if we have time. But there is another shooter that I think defined things moving forward. But I'll save that just so we can switch gears a little bit. Um. So let's go into RPGs for a minute. Yes. Okay. Now, now, what an amazing. I mean, we all are uh, huge fans of RPGs. RPGs go all the way back, man. I, I mean, I don't know if you guys... Did any of you play Ultima? Like the actual original Ultima? No. I watched my buddy play it, um, and he was playing it later on. I was playing EverQuest, and Ultima was still around. Yeah. I said, you got to play EverQuest instead, because that case, Yes. Yes. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I, I mean, RPGs go way, way back. But for me... There was an RPG that I think changed everything, and it brought RPGs again into the mainstream. It did everything you could possibly want an RPG to do, and that is Final Fantasy VII. Okay, now I know I don't. Paul, you never played Final Fantasy VII, right? Oh yeah, I've played it. Did mm-hmm. you? Oh, the
1: the original multiple times. Yeah. Okay,
0: I couldn't remember. I thought I, I had. I, I thought you had mentioned maybe you didn't play it, but
1: no, I did not play it. Like in '97 or whenever it came out, I probably played it around like 2000 2001. It was a couple years later, but I I definitely okay. So Michael, maybe it was you then.
0: It was, and I'm guilty of this. This is one of those things that I do is that I take things that I've always wanted to do, like watch The Godfather. I watched The Godfather for the first time my entire life a year ago, and I take these things and put them on such a high pedestal. And I'm like, the Final Fantasy VII is on a pedestal. I'll play it someday, but I don't know if I want to do that right now because it would be terrible. It would be terrible today. <laughs> which is you, terrible. You missed I've waited your window. So long. I, I'm bringing that window back. We're remastering it. It's got, it it's is, got a remake. Yeah. It, it does have a remake, which is really but good. Only part of but, it, right? Yes. It's just like the first kind of quarter of the game, I think. But Final Fantasy VII did so many things that no other RPG had done in such a complete package. And that's the thing, right? Like, I know that the, I've never played Chrono Trigger. I know that there's a lot of people out there that have said, hey, if you're talking about Final Fantasy being, you know, a watershed type game, then you can't leave out Chrono Trigger. I hear that a lot, but I've never played Chrono Trigger because I was so involved in Final Fantasy 7. <laughs> but I mean, right. can you think of an RPG at that time, Paul, that did everything that Final Fantasy 7 did? Number one, the character system, the party, right? You had to build your party. You'd meet people and they'd join your party. You know, and you'd have healers and you'd have tanks and DPS guys. It, I mean, we could spend an hour talking about the casino part of Final Fantasy VII. I spent days sure. in the casino grinding. I, I don't even know what the credits are called anymore. You know, <laughs> Saul? Was it Saul? Maybe that's a different game.
1: <laughs> Or all the chocobo content. (laughs) The chocobo
0: content, the, the summons, like that was the real thing that, let's be honest, set Final Fantasy VII apart was you could get these massive summons that would do this huge cinematic, you know, and then it would help obliterate the enemies in that game. And I remember grinding for weeks to get like the Neo Bahamut guy that was the dragon that would go out into space. And then would like rear back and do this Omega blast all the way down to the planet. You'd see it and it would hit all the enemies and just light them up and stuff like that. But, you know, the materias that you could play that part of it. I mean, there's so many aspects of Final Fantasy VII. I think that RPGs that came after that, honestly, in a way, they could not duplicate everything that final fantasy seven did on that scale. So they didn't try what they did is they said, Hey, you know what? We're going to take pieces of this and we're going to use them. But I think it was an absolutely defining game in RPGs. I'm a huge fan of turn-based RPGs. So, you know, obviously the combat in final fantasy seven was amazing. The story, you know, we, we talked a long time ago about games with super memorable moments. And I don't remember if it actually made that episode, but you know there's there's a super emotional moment in final fantasy 7 i'm not going to spoil anything because they're doing the remakes and i don't want to ruin <laughs> anything you know what i mean but it's one of those i just i i love everything that it did when that game was out there was absolutely nothing like it that that was out at the time and i love what it did for the rpg genre moving forward after that
1: <laughs> the electronic gaming monthly magazine actually is on record by saying that Final Fantasy VII taught gamers, quote, how to cry. Yeah. And so they were citing that as being like really influential. And GameSpot actually named it the second most influential game ever made back in 2002. So it certainly left its mark, no question. If anybody wants to learn how to
0: cry, just sit down with me sometime and watch Love Actually. (laughs) I'll show you how to cry. (laughs) (laughs) But that's the sad thing, right? Is you can't, today... I don't think you could go back and really enjoy Final Fantasy 7. I think it's going to be way too dated. The remake is super good, but it's only a portion of the game and it doesn't capture all the magic because you had to experience it from beginning to end to truly understand the grandeur that was Final Fantasy 7. And I don't think you get that with the remake. The remake is great and it's super fun and I highly recommend it to people that are interested but Michael, I, I like I fear you missed that window because well, I now, don't think it would hold up today. What is so dated about it is it is it the old 3D graphics? Because I, I play some old turn-based games. Like I think Heroes of Might and Magic 4, I load it up still sometimes. Oh, I love and those games. It does not even scale to a sixteen by nine monitor. Like it's an old four by three CRT and it looks terrible. And I'm like I'm but I'm still I'm still playing. I'm still doing turn-based stuff, right? Is it is it just because that was an early 3D modeled game and that just doesn't translate well yet? I mean, honestly for the time the graphics were revolutionary. They were great, you know. And so I don't know, it's not always just the graphics. It's very grindy. To 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 do like a lot Fair, of the stuff uh, that you'd okay. need to do in Final Fantasy VII, you legitimately had to spend days grinding stuff. Yes, running in circles and just Until doing random you started, fights. Yep. You know, yeah. or doing or hoping for a drop, a materia drop so that you could get one of those amazing summons. I mean, for a completionist like you, I feel like Final Fantasy 7 probably had two, three, four hundred hours worth of content like legitimately to where you know i i think to today's day and age it's probably just too grindy for a lot of people you guys would never see me again because i am yeah. a completionist <laughs> you would like never like they're just like hey we're supposed to record the podcast what's michael doing <laughs> you go look on my playstation emulator or something like that like i oh, was playing final Fantasy seven for like the 60th hour in the last week yeah
1: yeah, it. I, I think the remake is more for people who want the nostalgia of playing through it again. It's not the most exciting RPG today, but it certainly was back in 97.
0: Yeah, it captures yeah. a lot of the original and does it justice in modernizing it. I mean, I think it's a plenty. If you like the JRPGs, I think it's great. You know, it, it definitely follows that. There's definitely better ones out there, though. All right, Michael. All right. I'm going to go and flip the script real fast because we've been talking about things, games so far that have revolutionized gaming in a positive way. And I'm actually going to kind of break the rules, but I'll be quick about it because I'm going to bring up two games real quick. That actually destroyed the gaming industry Ooh. at the time. <laughs> I love this. Yeah. Influential
1: in a bad way. Watershed Influential in negatively. a bad way.
0: And yeah, <laughs> yes. it's a negative watershed. The watershed has the like, creaking wood. It's not holding water well at all. The water is just on the ground. That, I'm sorry. I'm just Googling watershed pictures again, and it's just sheds. Of- <laughs> all right. So the first one is E.T., oh. the extraterrestrial. <laughs> and the second one is Shenmue. And what I'll do is I'll just really quickly say how they destroyed what they were doing at the time. So E.T., of course, was like one of the biggest movies in history. Still it love basically, that movie. Uh, It's great. It's great. It basically put... Steven Spielberg on the map, right? That's, that was Spielberg, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, he had already I mean, done Jaws. Jaws put but... him on the map, but, Spiel, but yeah. that was like, you know, you know he solidified was of, it. Yeah, what, some of those great directors, you see something they do that's amazing and they do one, they're one and done. Well, and then ET came out and they're like, maybe the Spielberg guy's a big deal. We need to get this ET game, Atari says, out by <laughs> Christmas. We need it <laughs> yeah. out by Christmas and we're going to throw so much money at it to make it out by Christmas. They, I think they took a different game and just like called it ET and threw things on top of it, and it was so bad that it literally made Atari go away. Like, not literally. It was Atari was already kind of on a downward spiral a tiny bit. It was kind of like what VR did a decade ago when the Oculus Rift came out, and everyone's like, hey, this is amazing, and then people just kind of walked away from it. They're like, hey, is that home gaming really going to be a thing for a while? Maybe not. Maybe it is. You know, it's great. And then E.T. came out, and people are like, we're over it we don't we don't want to go buy consoles anymore we're not doing this which ironically enough paved the way for nintendo because a few years later nintendo came out with their nes system and the mario brothers and all that stuff and they're like oh wait maybe we do want to come back to this and do have fun with it and so et destroyed atari and just like shenmue made sega make a transition from being a console maker to just a software maker so shenmu cost 47 million dollars to make and Ooh. when they were developing it they were thinking hey sega dreamcast is coming out it's great it's going to be amazing it's going to be the biggest thing in the world and then unfortunately nobody bought a dreamcast but because shenmu was so expensive it would have they they there was a famous thing that they said that in order for Shenmue to actually survive or to make its money back, every single person that owned a Dreamcast would have had to have bought two copies of Shenmue. And so it destroyed (laughs) Sega. And then Sega, you know, a few months or a few years, it was a very short time later, said, hey, uh, we're going to focus on making arcade games and we're going to focus on making software. And so that's my whole thing. I know I kind of went in a big circle there with a whole bunch of stuff, but these are two games that almost derailed. Like Sega before Shenmue? Was enormous. Sega Genesis, SNES. What else was there? Nothing Sony came the out time. with the PlayStation around the same time. The Dr- PS2 came out right when the right when the uh, right when the Dreamcast came out. And I think that might have paved way to Sony's success because at that time Sony could do no wrong and Sega could do no right. So anyway, just wanted to throw that out there. What was the documentary, Paul? I think you watched it. It talked about like a lot of the history of gaming, and they mentioned because they were talking about Atari. They mentioned mm-hmm. ET, and they brought it up in that documentary. It was,
1: uh, I think it's called High Score.
0: High it's Score. On Netflix. Yes. Oh, I on love Netflix. that. And Everyone they, go really watch it. good series. Yes, and they actually go into the absolute downfall that was ET because ET had taken the world by storm as a movie. I still to this day. Remember watching E.T. in the movie theater with my parents. It's the first movie experience that I can actually remember. And I remember crying like a baby during E.T. <laughs> I thought it was the most amazing thing I'd ever seen. I mean, I was a baby basically, but so, and then I was a huge fan of Atari. I, my parents got us an Atari for Christmas one year. I absolutely lost my mind because it meant we could play games at home. And I remember being very excited for E.T. and that game flopped harder than any other game in history, man. Uh, it, and it's funny because they cover a large part of that in the documentary. So if you haven't seen High Score, I, I don't know if it's still on Netflix or not, but that was a great documentary.
1: 100% agreed. Yeah, I believe it's still up there. Uh, I was not born yet when ET, the movie or the game had come out, but when you watch that documentary, you see news stories where they're basically saying, all right, that's it. We're going back to the arcades. The home gaming industry is dead. Like, this is this is the kill shot and uh yeah it's rather remarkable that nintendo even was able to turn it all around single-handedly it's so weird to think that we almost like almost missed and completely derailed the gaming industry whereas now today it's one of the highest grossing industries around like it makes so much money even compared to like movies and stuff it's it's wild it's crazy that games cost what movies cost and sometimes
0: more now because you think about it like what was entertainment you go to blockbuster video okay roll with me back to 1997 you go to (laughs) blockbuster video on the way back home you get pizza and popcorn or something like that and your whole family does that and the movies cost a ton of money and now you're like movies were a big event and now just like almost every game now costs as much as a movie costs
1: yeah the industry's so big well, and even now, like, Netflix gives you a new movie every single week. So it's like they just come rolling in, and these games, on the other hand, take sometimes eight years or more. Like when we talked about Red Dead 2, you know, it's a game that costs $700 million. That's insane. You know, movies are, aren't are costing that much. All right, so let's see here. I think we're back to me. I'm taking a look because obviously we uh, are already three quarters of our way through this episode, I think, Hmm. What do you guys want to talk about? Do you want to talk about team fortress classic or do you want to talk about tomb Raider?
0: Ooh, I've tomb Raider.
1: Tomb (laughs) Tomb Raider. Raider? Yeah. All right. Let's talk about tomb Raider. All right. So tomb Raider came out in 1996. It was released on PC for DOS and also on Sega Saturn and tomb Raider. I think is such a watershed moment. Because it really popularized having a female protagonist. Now, I know that Lara Croft is not the first, right? You get the whole reveal at the very end of Metroid that Samus is actually a female character. That was But cool. there is nothing about Samus that makes you think you're playing as a woman, right? It's you're in a full suit. It's kind of almost like an Easter egg at the end of the game. And even then, if you get the quote best ending, like she's in a bikini. So it's like even objectifying women in the first appearance of women in video games. So, and, and yes, I know Lara Croft suffers from that a little bit as well. (laughs) All right. I know that I know, but I feel like it was such a turning moment to be able to play a woman who's just going to run around and kick everybody's butt. This is not Peach being kidnapped and the damsel in distress being stuck in the castle. It's not Zelda getting kidnapped by Ganondorf who needs to be saved, right? You just run around as Lara. You're running around with these guns. You're shooting everyone. You are uh just an, an action hero that also just so happens to be female. And I really love that. I thought it was really cool at the time. I'm really happy you brought this up because it it really did pave the way
0: for a lot of female protagonists, I don't even think maybe necessarily just for gaming, like around that time period there was a lot more female protagonists in movies and all that kind of stuff, but she wasn't like you said, not a damsel in distress, I mean one of the earliest video games ever that became popular was Donkey Kong, and it's like cut and dry, like oh this helpless (laughs) woman and this plumber Mario has to go up there and help this woman and they did the same formula in Mario and then here comes Tomb Raider and Tomb Raider is like no, no, no. First of all, this is one of the most amazing like like action heroes you've ever seen. And it's a woman. And it was amazing. And it was really fun to play. It also helps that the game was awesome. Yes, like, it was a honestly, super fun game. I mean, all uh, let's they be honest. The are. entire Tomb Raider series is super enjoyable, man. So, you know, that's that's one where they've done a very good job of just making those games an absolute blast to play. The original Tomb Raider was so much fun, man. I mean, this came after the whole Indiana like the Indiana Jones trilogy, you know, had how we're not going to talk about the fourth one, but you know, the that whole thing had happened. It was still popular even though, you know, this happened a while past that. But you there wasn't a game that captured that feel like tomb raider did you got to explore you got to kick butt you got to go up against these puzzles and these challenges and make these discoveries and stuff and the the game was just great and the fact that it was great with the female protagonist in it and that she was so bad you know family friendly <laughs> right but she was bad and and you did get to just you know kick booty, man. And, and like, I love the fact that they were able to do that in a game that is absolutely amazing and has carried the series to this, you know, into this decade, into the 2020s at this point. Still making them. Right. And they're making it yeah. because they're great, you know? And they all feel... That, I mean, there's some similarities there, but I feel like they're all unique enough and they they kind of... They add on to that that... I, I mean, I, great pick, man. I mean, and it's got... Good movies. and then That's exactly
1: what I was going to bring up.
0: And who played Lara
1: Croft? Uh, Angelina Jolie. Who was bigger in the early 2000s? No one was bigger than Angelina Jolie. No, yeah. Nobody.
0: Nobody. Which is John Foyt's daughter, by the way. I don't know how many people know
1: yeah. that. yeah John Boyd's daughter (laughs) yeah and then of course my
0: my I just I I love Alicia Vikander so I loved the 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 new movie was not it was not fantastic but Alicia Vikander um was she was great in that but I I do think it's incredible though that like like the things about the game too is the games I don't know if the first ones did this because I can't remember because I'm old and they came out a long time ago <laughs> but they have little history lessons in them sometimes where you find this artifact and you learn in lara's voice like hey this happened this is something from this and i'm like that's kind of cool i didn't know i do get a history lesson from this video game i love that stuff it's the small things
1: yeah i don't specifically remember that necessarily but i do remember playing tomb raider with josh's brother-in-law andy Because he and I were friends back in grade school, and I remember in seventh grade, he bought Tomb Raider and we would play it on his computer. And I remember it being the first game that would set you up for jump scares, where you would like turn a corner and then a dog would like jump on you and it would play the sound really loud. And I remember that being the first game that almost gave me a heart attack for, you know, 12 year old Paul or whatever at the time. And uh, I remember that also being a, a neat part of it. It incorporated like certain horror elements along with the adventure and the puzzles. And even though Lara may have not been like the most well-drawn character back in 96, I do think over time they've done a really good job with that. Like she's a fully realized character. Um I really love what they've done in that series. I buy every single Tomb Raider game because I think they're all absolutely fantastic. And sure You know, Pac-Man stuck a little bow on Pac-Man and called it Ms. (laughs) Pac-Man. That's great and fine. I feel like Tomb Raider did a little bit more for female protagonists to where you don't even bat an eye anymore, right? Like, we've got games like Horizon Zero Dawn, Hellblade, Celeste, Bayonetta, Control. No one cares that you're playing as a female because it's no big deal. It was a big deal. Back when Tomb Raider came out in 96. I mean,
0: even the small thing like I have two characters in Lost Ark. They're both female characters because different classes you have to play as a female. And I'm never like, like back in EverQuest, I never made a female character. I was like 17 years old when it came out. And now I'm like, I don't even think about it. I'm like, oh, cool. I made it a female. I'm gonna give her a cool name.
1: <laughs> yeah. So we are almost out of time. We have just a couple minutes left. Do you guys want to mention maybe like, maybe give like a 45 second spiel on one or two games that are being left on the cutting room floor. Ooh, rapid fire. I like this. Action. Yeah. Like rapid this. fire.
0: I, I got to bring up super Mario brothers as far as the platformer genre <laughs> goes. I, I mean, I, the reason I say that is because I played pitfall, which was one of the oh, actual original platformers. So fun. But, You know, there was pitfall like Donkey Kong. Donkey Kong involved jumping over obstacles, right? But it was all on one screen. You just tried to make it up to the top and jump the barrels and stuff. But Super Mario Brothers absolutely revolutionized that platforming, jumping over obstacles kind of idea that the industry kind of sort of had. They they hadn't quite wrapped their brains around it yet. And then here comes Nintendo doing Nintendo things and saying, hey, we know how to make this (laughs) an actual thing. And they gave you the freedom of that smooth side scroller and different levels that all had their own flair, their own flavor. You had missions, right? You had to go save the princess. You had bosses. You had Bowser and stuff like that. And, you know, without Super Mario Brothers, number one, I don't know that we'd have the insane popularity with Nintendo that we had back in the day. And I don't think that we would have games like Mega Man, like Celeste, like Hollow Knight, like all these other platformer games and even some of the Metroidvanias, right? Because what's a big part of a Metroidvania is platforming to a certain degree. So I think it just, it's, it's hard to quantify exactly what Super Mario Brothers did for gaming. Um, I mean, again, we could probably spend an entire episode on it, but I mean, if we don't mention that in this, I, I feel like we would have missed out on something. So I have to bring it up. I know we're trying to move <laughs> we'll quick. Agree. So, you know, what you got? And Michael? great music. Yeah, honestly, Essential music too. <laughs> yeah. I want to see if Paul can go next, because I'm going to challenge myself to get through six games in 60 seconds and spend 10 seconds on each of them talking about how they changed the world. And maybe Paul will take one so that I can get 12 and a half (laughs) seconds per each game.
1: Well, yeah, I was going to say good luck to you, Michael, because I'm going to bring up Team Fortress Classic, which I I don't think you had on your list. So Team Fortress Classic and I think to a lesser extent, Unreal Tournament both came out in 1999. And Team Fortress Classic is what I want to focus a little bit more on. It was made by Valve, which seemingly cannot make a bad game. All of their games are just amazing. And these were online matches between two teams. You had the red team versus the blue team. This game had uh, modes like capture the flag, territory control, escort a VIP. But what this game did as making it a watershed game is the fact that it included different classes that had completely different abilities where you played a different role based on what you selected. So they had uh, Scout, Sniper, Soldier, demo man, Medic, Heavy Weapons Guy, Pyro, Spy, and Engineer. And one of the cool things about that game, I'm not going to talk obviously about all the classes, but as the Spy, you could disguise yourself to look like the enemy team And you could then pull out your knife and try to kill someone. And you could also feign death. So you could like be keeled over on the floor, wait for them to pass, hop up and shank them. And if we didn't have a game like Team Fortress Classic, we wouldn't have Overwatch or League of Legends or all of these games that have that built in. Uh, It's all because of Team Fortress Classic. And the fact that the orange box came out having portal half-life and you know team fortress 2 um and i don't remember which entry of portal was in there i think it was portal 1 half-life 2 and team fortress 2 if i remember but what a killer's row like that all time is is the greatest uh collection of games at the time The orange box was single-handedly the
0: best thing to hit video gaming because you got three absolutely incredible games that were all different for cheat, man. I actually had the original orange box. I wish I still had it. It'd probably be worth something.
1: <laughs> probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And was Half Life the FPS you were it thinking of that we That's might run after? Exactly. Yeah.
0: It's on my list. And I was going to say, that, you know, it defined that first person shooters moving forward with the campaigns and the missions and the interaction and the set pieces, you know, like, I mean, Call of Duty and these, you know, these games that use those amazing you know scripted events and stuff like that a half-life pioneered all of that stuff half-life also may be a dotted line to the fact that you know valve made that right yep. without valve we wouldn't have steam the valve index we wouldn't have like if if half-life was not such a successful series would steam even exist i don't know but i wish they'd make I don't more know. half-lives me too me too
1: too. more half-lifes and more portals (laughs) what are we doing they don't
0: don't have to because they've got every (laughs) single game ever they take yeah they print money for themselves and i spent a thousand dollars on this valve index which is beautiful and i never use it it's great all right michael are you ready for your quick hits do do you need to take a deep breath (gasps) <gasps> oh no i'm not doing micro machine man since we're oh. going back to nostalgia i can't do the <laughs> micro machine man nobody i have a natural lisp and nasally voice anyways if i tried to talk that fast everyone's like what did he just say? all right you got you got 10 all right, seconds we're, we're starting the going? timer all right here we go Tetris, what it did for mobile gaming. Without it, the Game Boy would not have been a household success. EverQuest, because Josh is here, enough said. Yes! Just kidding. EverQuest, because it was well, the first open world online game. It took what the other MMOs did before that and made it mainstream and World of Warcraft, I don't care what you say, Paul, wouldn't exist without it. Gran Turismo, because it took the racing genre and made it real. You could upgrade cars. You could actually feel the stickiness of the tires in the game. It it did so so much on a different level and the customization and graphics were amazing dance dance revolution i don't want to talk about it because i hate it <laughs> yeah, but that DDR. game was huge it had done something that no one had ever done it was responsible for rock band and guitar hero and it added an element of exercise to gaming what hold on who are we we're gamers
1: 10, ten seconds
0: oh gears of war because it added cover <laughs> oh, style yes. shooting and there is never ever ever oh, i'm going to go 15 <laughs> seconds over i'm so sorry gears of war because because there was never a ga- so there there the any third person used, shooter it Hold on. Hit the gas, oh, Michael. Like, oh, hit the gas. All right. In any, there's never been a third-person shooter before that had cover-style shooting. There is not a single third-person shooter after that did not have it. Boom. And it was co-op fun. And SM City, because without it, there'd be no civilization, total war of the Sims. I'm done.
1: I can breathe. Well, well done. <laughs> Very nice. You know, talking about Sim City, I do need to jump in and say, dude, that started, like, in a whole industry by itself between oh, yeah. not just the Sim games, but, like... The Caesar series, the Tropico series, city skylines, tycoon. I mean, you still have stuff yeah. like Frostpunk that are still built on the same DNA as what you had in SimCity. Yep. It's pretty cool.
0: Yeah. That was a good list. Well done, Michael. Um, I agreed yeah. with a lot of those too. I'm so <laughs> glad right you brought up Gears of War because that really changed a lot as well. I just didn't want to only talk about shooters. So yeah, yeah. and yeah, then yeah, the but- Sim Sim City. I mean, uh, that's that's another one that I'm really glad we got to mention at least because, Paul, you you hit it on the head, man. It changed a lot in gaming.
1: It really oh, yeah. did. Even stuff like Spore and The Sims. I mean, The Sims 4 oh, Spore alone has probably grossed like seven trillion dollars or something by this point it's been such a successful game the
0: sims is the only game in it, the sims was the first game in a decade to knock off Myst as the most popular selling game of all time so even sim city couldn't do that and it begat
1: the sims so yeah so yeah and if you didn't have SimCity city you wouldn't have had the nope, sims Miss so. would still
0: be the highest selling game of all time just kidding everyone knows it'd be Minecraft. still
1: mine. it's true
0: um oh on, on gear on gears of war though yeah one of the things is I, I felt like it was interesting being an imposter here bringing up a shooter but since i'm not an fps person gears of war is technically a third person shooter so i felt i felt honorable bringing it up
1: oh yeah absolutely come on yeah gears of war rules I, I, my aim is I not any better All right. Well, we're keeping this one actually pretty close to an hour. I know we've been very chatty and we've been going really long lately, but thank you so much for listening. I know we were really excited to talk about some of these really influential games. And as always, we'll be back with our next episode on Thursday, breaking down this week in gaming. And the next deep dive will be Tiny Tina's Wonderlands, which we have been playing here the last week and a half. And I think that's it, guys. Anything else before we all say goodbye? Can we do
0: another one of these? Because I feel like there's a lot more games that we could talk about. <laughs> yeah, I I think I think you're right. I think we'd have to maybe cut out like my minute long spiel we though should so do I one can just take all those. <laughs> For all our <laughs> younger listeners that go, I don't know any of those games those guys were talking about. Maybe oh, we'll do point. one where it's like of the last Modern. ten years.
1: Sure. I'm down. Yeah. We can always <laughs> do a part <laughs> two and <laughs> yeah, any any only games that are in the two thousands or something, maybe. Yeah. Good idea. All right. Well, thanks everyone and make sure to check us out on multiplayer squad.com to see our Patreon page and we'll see you all on Thursday. Happy gaming, everybody. Cheers all. All right. See you, everybody.